KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. When we talk about the COVID-19 pandemic, there is obviously a lot of focus on the deaths from the virus and a lot of talk about those people who appear to be asymptomatic. But something that doesn't seem to be talked about a lot, people who get COVID-19 and end up suffering long-term health effects. They, They survive, but they're never quite the same. We wanted to learn more, so we reached out to Krista Shore. She is a clinical nurse scientist at Cooper Medical Center in Camden, also an associate professor of medicine at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. Really interesting and important conversation. Give a listen. So when we talk about this COVID-19 pandemic, there's a lot of talk about, obviously, the sadness of the incredible amount of deaths the country's experiencing. And there's a lot of talk about people that are asymptomatic. We wanted to focus on people that get sick and get better to a point, but they experience a lot of health problems even after they've recovered from the virus. How serious an issue is this? How many people from your experiences, people you talk to, are having long-term health problems as a result of COVID-19? Well, we don't have the actual numbers currently on the COVID-19 patients, but in general, patients who survive a critical illness, at least 25% of those patients experience some sort of loss of independence with their normal activities of daily living. Um, And about a third of those patients actually have patients who experience post-intensive care syndrome uh, are not able to go back to work or not able to return to their pre-ICU stay job. So it is unfortunately uh, all too common in the patients who experience critical illness. What are, do we have a good grasp on the different long-term effects from COVID-19 that we're seeing from people? Because I feel like just as a layman from reading articles, it seems like we're kind of learning of more difficulties all the time. Yes. And to be quite honest, the post-intensive care syndrome and critical illness is really evolving over time. The The term itself, you know, they just arrived with that particular term, post-intensive care syndrome in uh, 2014. So there was a task force that recognized that you know, patients who survive critical illness are experiencing some unique conditions, not only in the short term, but in the long term. So in the patients that are critically ill in the ICU uh, with COVID that have long ICU stays, oral mechanical ventilation, require extracorporeal membrane oxygenation or ECMO, the most critically ill, those patients are the most likely to experience some of the symptoms that we would expect in a patient with post-intensive care syndrome. Some of the conditions have to do with physical, some are uh, cognitive, and some, unfortunately, are mental health, where the patients may have anxiety, depression, or experience PTSD. What is the most common thing that you have seen? You, you mentioned all those. Is there one that has emerged as the, the most common long-term situation, or is it really kind of a mixed bag? It, it can be a mixed bag, but most patients will tell you that they most often experience physical issues with muscle weakness, fatigue, and shortness of breath. And with the COVID patients, a large majority of these patients were healthy, you know, healthy individuals prior to coming down with this illness. So 
this is really challenging. Uh, there are a large majority of the patients did not even have any chronic health conditions. So to experience COVID-19 and leave the hospital with severe muscle wasting um, and have shortness of breath is really uh, challenging for, for most patients. A large majority of the patients, the older patients, likely would require a short stay at a rehab facility. And some patients who have difficulty weaning off the ventilator may actually require a stay at a long-term ventilator facility. Are we, and are we seeing this kind of across the board? I mean, uh, there's a lot of focus, obviously, on the higher risk of older people, people with, the, with other medical conditions they're dealing with. But from things that I've read and seen, it seems like we're seeing some of the younger people that come down with COVID, they're also having these long-term where they're not quite ever going to be the same. Are, are you seeing it across the age spectrum or is it heavily weighted to older patients? No, uh, you're exactly right. I mean, we've seen patients in their 20s um, all the way to their 90s, but those that seem to be impacted the most are uh, people that are in their 50s, uh, mid-50s, um, late-50s, early-60s, and they may only have like one chronic health condition or otherwise healthy, but they experience a shortness of breath that they've never experienced in their life. All of a sudden, it just takes their breath away and they can't function. But they may have been experiencing some fatigue uh, prior to arriving at the hospital, but they weren't really sure what was happening. So when they come to us, they're in severe respiratory distress and requiring uh, mechanical ventilation support. The time that you're on the ventilator, the longer you're on a ventilator, the longer that you're in the ICU, that really impacts your recovery process. So as a clinician, the goal is to try to decrease the amount of time that patients are on the ventilator and to decrease the number of complications that a patient would have. And that helps with long-term outcomes. Are we starting to see any... I don't know if clues is the right word, but any, any data that shows why certain people have these long-term problems and other people don't? Are, are, are any pieces starting to be put together, or are we still way too early to, to, to start kind of drawing conclusions or getting a feel for who might really have the long-term problems and who won't? I think we, you're, you're right on that we are uh, still learning. We're, we're still learning about the disease itself. I mean, it really caught most clinicians off guard. It's not something that we've ever seen before. But as far as the complications and the long term, it's really yet to be seen. And we were, we're still admitting patients to the hospital, you know, every day. It's not as severe as the number of admissions, but we're still learning. I mean, it was March for most hospitals in our area that saw their first patient. And we're only three months from that point. So as clinicians, they were so busy taking care of the patients and learning to deliver the best possible care. We haven't able, been able to really dig into the data at this point to figure out you know, where patients were placed and how they're doing currently. I think if you have, if the facilities have a support group, we'll certainly be able to learn quite a bit from patients in that manner. I was fortunate enough to call some of the family members uh, because this actually affects the family members as well. So, you know, when the patients are discharged home, uh, you can imagine that they have weakness where, you know, they may even have difficulty bathing um, or showering uh, alone. So it really puts a significant burden 
not only on the patient, uh, but the caregivers as well. For a, a virus, a coronavirus, to have this type of impact on the human body, I mean, obviously, it's a pandemic, it's a new virus, but had to, because I, as a layman and someone who's been lucky to not have a lot of health problems, I look at getting sick from a virus very linear. I'm healthy, I don't feel well, I recover, it's over. How unusual is it to have a virus that attacks in this many different ways, ways leaves people with this many problems in, in certain cases? How unusual is this? It's extremely unusual. I mean, this is not something that we're accustomed to. We deal with severe infections all the time, and we're able to identify it and treat it, whether it need, you know there's surgical intervention or antibiotics, and we can kind of you know proceed down the course and at least have an idea what the next step is going to be if the patient is going to recover or have a significant decline. In this particular disease process with COVID, not one patient has been the same. Every patient is different. And it was, you know, it's really challenging to put all the pieces together and learn why even um, some races and ethnic groups are presenting more often with a more severe disease. Again, these are things that we're all going to learn over the next couple months. There are a number of researchers with large databases that will be able to give us this additional information. But to be quite honest, there was no specific pattern that we could determine who was going to progress, you know, and, and get worse and require an ICU stay. Um, and some patients just came into the hospital with symptoms and were discharged the next day. And other patients were, were in the hospital for months. So, again, it, it's just it's very, very difficult to figure out why some patients respond in, in positive ways and other patients decline quite quickly. I can only imagine from a healthcare standpoint, when you're trying to treat people, you're trying to help people, and you basically going to have to have the whole arsenal available because you you don't know what direction it's going to go. Like, it's not just that the lungs could get become a real problem. It can spread to the brain. It, 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 we see these pulmonary problems. I mean, that just much multiply the challenges by a factor of almost infinite now. Correct. And I, I think that, that when we talk about long-term outcomes, the goal for most patients in the ICU is to minimize the number of organs that are affected by any disease, whether it's COVID or sepsis or you know a, a patient who's admitted with simple pneumonia. If you can just maintain that one organ that's affected and try to treat that, the patient's likely going to have a little bit of a better outcome. So if the patient's, you know, basically has respiratory failure and they're able to manage that, that patient will likely have a better outcome than someone who has respiratory failure, acute renal failure, and also has delirium or changes in mental status. So from a clinical standpoint, our goal really is to decrease, you know, the numbers of organs that are affected. And that really makes a, a huge difference. But when you think about the arsenal of people, it's not only the clinicians who were caring for the patients, their acute needs. There is a, a huge number of support staff that really do make a difference in patient outcomes, including the physical therapists. So early mobility, you know, exercising patients and moving their limbs and trying to get them out of bed as soon as feasibly possible. That has actually um, been very helpful in long-term outcomes for these patients as well. In the scope of where we are in this pandemic, 
are we still basically in the first or second inning? Well, it depends on where you live. Um, so in our area, you know, in um, South Jersey and the Philadelphia area, I think, you know, we may be on third at this point and, you know, trying to figure out if, you know, as they start to open things, you know, are we going to see increased cases similar to what's been seen in other states? And I, I think most clinicians and directors of ICUs in our area are uh, very cautious. So I think we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction, you know, as long as the public is, you know, complying with the social distancing and uh, wearing masks in, in places that are necessary. Uh, the number of cases certainly has decreased in our area, and that's a positive thing. But when the fall comes around, um, we're dealing with the flu and potential, you know, additional COVID patients. I think that's a, a big concern. And how important is it for people to understand? Because I think one of the quote unquote problems in with the general population is there is this focus on all these people that get it but don't have any symptoms and focus on people that pass away. But how important is it for people to realize that you could be 25, 30, 35 years old, get this, and your life could be changed forever? It's not just you're going to be sick for a week. And, and would that kind of be a wake-up call to people that aren't taking it as seriously as they should, that they should? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you work in healthcare and you saw what we saw in the past three months, you know, the picture of people on ventilators, young folks, you know, uh, 30, 40 years old, the prime of their life with, you know, young children at home, newly married with, a, you know, a, a job that they, you know, thrive in, you know, it's, it's not someone that you would expect to be in an intensive care unit, but their exposure to the COVID virus, unfortunately, put them in a bad situation. And it's not it's not uh, selective in the fact that it, it avoids people in their 20s and 30s. We've had, you know, some young patients in our hospital as well as in our surrounding hospitals. So I would never say that it only affects a particular age group. It affects the a vast variety. And it's it's not something that we can guess when a patient comes into the ICU or even into the hospital to say, that you're going to be able to be discharged in one or two days. Sometimes they are presenting and they seem to be okay. And then within 24 hours, they potentially could decline and find themselves in an ICU. And final question in your career, is this one of the scariest things you've ever come across? Uh, For me, yes. I've been in uh, nursing for 30 years now. And I can say that this was not at all what I initially expected. I really did not think it was going to be as severe as it it did become. And even clinicians, physicians who've been practicing for 40 years have never seen anything like this. Um, This is a disease that's very different from any other disease that we've uh, seen in our careers. And the management, you know, we just, we weren't, no one really knew the exact treatment for these patients. And we still don't know I think most of us are hoping and praying that we can get a vaccine as soon as feasibly possible, because that, I think, is going to make the difference, because there's no magic bullet for this particular disease, COVID. Uh, We don't have one particular drug that is the lifesaver or can decrease the amount of time that someone's on a ventilator. Uh, We just don't have all the answers. And again, it's only been three months that we've been affected in our area. 
we're still learning and we're, we're learning from the patients that we were caring for as well as what's happening around the world. The three months, though, it did seem like three years when you're in it. We're just hoping and praying that, you know, things continue to improve and we see less cases. Um, and if it, a surge comes again, that we'll be more prepared for the next round of patients. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.